The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.thewaitcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company. Blog and fishing apparel and accessories. Check them out online at brokentippet.com. You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. What do you normally catch in species wise in in Colorado? Uh, you know, for me, a lot of times it's browns. I would say browns predominantly uh, with rainbows as a close second. Okay. Um, and, yeah, that's just part of the makeup of the streams out here and where I spend my time fishing. Uh, but kind of like Mike alluded to, you know, it, it's really full spectrum uh and while streamers do typically you know let's say we can generalize here and say they typically you know you're going to be catching larger sized brown trout and rainbow trout for the most part you still every now and again catch a a smaller size fish that leaves you scratching your head and and that's kind of a nice part about this is that i feel like streamer fishing does have a bit of a stigma as you know you'll go out there you won't catch much but what you'll catch is going to be yeah, trophy sized fish. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't necessarily been the case in our experience. Um, I think you catch a lot more trophy sized fish in general, but you're also not, you know, the smaller fish, a lot of times if the conditions are right, we've found them to be very aggressive as well. And, uh, you know, on a good day, you go out and catch a bunch of trophy fish and you also catch a, a bunch of, you know, average to above average sized fish as well. Well, let me ask you this, Cameron. So if you're fishing something like a circus peanut, how often does it happen to you? You know, you, you bring this fish in and you're like, man, you, you're an overachiever. It's like you're about the same size as this fly. Does that? I find that happens <laughs> quite often. Yeah, but we, we actually have a picture in the book. Uh, I, I'm forgetting what chapter it's in, Mike, but the, uh, I know there's a picture that we deliberately wanted to put in the book. Uh, and I think it's me holding a small brook trout out of a... Uh, Shenandoah National Park in, in Virginia stream and and this streamer is probably two-thirds of the size of the fish <laughs> yeah 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 and we wanted to put that in the book deliberately again because of, you know kind of that, like I feel like that myth that's out there that you're only going to be catching big fish The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear. Shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on The Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Flyfish in 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us today. And we're going to do what we always do, talk fly fishing, fly tying. Today, in particular, we're going to be chatting about streamer patterns. And this is really timely. We have got Mike Canino on the show. Mike's joining us from Atlanta, Georgia. And we've got Cameron Bougelion out of Denver, Colorado. Guys, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having us, Mark. Glad to be back. Well, I, I appreciate you joining us. And I know with uh, we got a multiple line call here, so I'll try to keep uh, the questions kind of going in order somewhat. Um, why don't we start with you, Cameron, because I, I do know Mike's story sure. a bit, and we'll dig into that. Mike's got a BS in marine biology. Um He's a real fishy guy, has another book out that we'll talk about on nymphing. But this time around, we're talking about simple streamer fishing for trout in rivers and streams. Uh, I love it. Cameron, why don't you tell us how you came to uh, create this book along with Mike? Sure. So, I mean, Mike and I are lifelong friends. I mean, Mike, how long have we known each other? Since middle school? Sixth grade. Sixth grade, Sixth yep. grade yeah. <laughs> right on. So we grew up fishing together and... When Mike got into the first book, he asked if I'd be willing to help out. Uh, you know, I was able to help out a little bit, not in the full capacity that I wanted to, just of this life going on, you know, on my own pace. So mm-hmm. when this opportunity came around again, was excited to you know be a part of it. So how how did you start the process? I'm really curious. I love talking with authors because I think there's no one 
right way to write a book. It seems everyone has their own style, finds their own way. Um, obviously, Mike's first book on nymphing, I'm sure, probably laid a lot of groundwork for this. Uh, Mike, why don't you jump in oh, on definitely. this? How, how did you come to start the uh, the streamer book? Like, uh, walk us through that process. Yeah, so Cam, Cam's really good with streamer fishing. So after I did the, the nymphing book, I mean, we uh, he was interested. He wanted to do one on streamers, and I wanted to keep on continue writing books. So basically, we uh, we collaborate on the streamer book, and it's our our books are basically condensed summary guides. So they're not supposed to be tons of words and go into tons of stories. It's supposed to just give you the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just it's supposed to simplify everything. Very the basic concepts, so it's easy to understand. Yeah, so, and like you said, like you said, Mark, like Mike laid the ground framework with the first book, and we both kind of agreed that you know fly fishing is one of our favorite things in the world. But even for us, most literature out there, when we were actually trying to learn something new, yeah. <laughs> like a new tactic, whatever it might be, it was a just you know it was enjoyable, but a bit wordy. <laughs> um, you know, for it being our favorite topic of you know things to do and read about for the most part. Um, you know, most of the stuff that was already out there was a bit too wordy for us. We had a hard time following it. You kind of had to really, you know, put in a lot of effort and reading between the lines, at least in just in our experience, uh, to kind of like gleam away the, the actionable insights to uh, kind of enhance your game and learn something new. So Mike had laid, you know, the framework for that would be Nymphing Book, which I, I just kind of helped edit uh, and kind of served as like a idea board for Mike as he was playing around with different ideas. So after that had gone out and, you know, had gotten a reasonably good response from people who had actually been, you know, reading the book um, and some, you know, some good feedback, uh, Mike kind of approached me with the idea of, hey, you know, like we focused on nymphing, which is, you know, kind of the area where I think Mike and I can both create he's the, uh, the better of us two for sure. And Mike kind of had the idea of like, you know, let's, let's expand this a little bit and extend uh, kind of this, this format, right. this instructional format, just, just to a topic which we think hasn't received, yeah, really that much attention. There's not so many books out there about streamer fishing, so it's something that we were very excited to put together. It's interesting you say that, Cameron. I I agree with you. It's and it's something that I get asked a lot is is how to and and something that's that's outside of my wheelhouse is explaining things to people for some reason. I just kind of capture people's stories on this podcast, but I get a lot of people ask those questions. And I think, you know, with YouTube and with all the social media now, it is definitely easier, but there's something nice about having it laid out in black and white in a book um, with photos. I'm curious how you guys assembled all this. So who, who did all the photography on this work guys? Oh, we, we actually kind of divvied it up. Yep. Uh, we went through, made an outline of, uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of an adjust as you go. We didn't have a, we didn't start with a full plan of the book, and I, I can't imagine anyone really does. <laughs> you kind of just get going on it and see where it takes you. Right. Uh, but we we had kind of had it towards the end. Once you know, we we felt like the text was getting near final. We we did some you know some final tweaks once we got some pictures and illustrations in there, but we got to a point where we could reasonably with some degree of accuracy, uh, you know, guess what, what photographs and what illustrations we felt were most important to be included in the book. And we really just split it between ourselves. Hmm. Yeah. It was all us with the photos and illustrations for the most part, just a collection of what we've had from the years. And then we, we targeted some photos that we thought would be good for the book. And we went out and got them. Mike, when we originally chatted, you were uh, living in upstate New York. Now I know you're in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, Cameron's over in Denver. So are you guys still finding time to get out on the water together, kind of meet halfway? Yeah, absolutely. We just, what was it, October? Colorado, we had a week-long fishing trip, caught a bunch of brown trout, cutthroats. Beauty. I love it. I love to. I love talking with fishing buddies on the show because that is a special relationship. Sounds like you guys have known each other uh, a lot of years. Cameron, how did you come to discover fly fishing originally? <laughs> Through Mike. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mike. Uh, let's see. Mike. Uh, the the house that Mike grew up in in upstate New York. You know, I was a little, you know, probably like a five ten minute drive away, and 
like I mentioned earlier, I think we met at like the lunch table in middle school. <laughs> uh, but Mike, Mike, yeah, Mike had a pond in his backyard, and his, his dad uh, fly fished a little bit and had a couple extra rods. So I, I think my first memory of it was just trying to like us teaching ourselves, and this was before like YouTube or anything, just us trying to teach ourselves on that pond in his backyard how to <laughs> <laughs> cast. And yeah, the pond was stocked with uh, bass and some other things. Uh, but then from there, I remember distinctly, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember, um, Mike, Mike, his dad took us out on the West branch of the Delaware river, just outside deposit New York, which was kind of our you know, home water. And that's really, really where we both learned to fly fish. And, yep. you know, I, I don't know if you've ever fished there, Mark, but the, you know, the bottom of the least tailwater, the, the water is very cold. And that first summer or two of us doing that i bet you we went six or eight times uh the first probably three or four times with dad then after that i think i think maybe we were able to drive uh ourselves or old enough to drive ourselves uh, i don't think either of us had waiters uh so mm. kind of standing in the water until your you know lower half of your body went numb then we'd fish from the bank a little bit until we got back in uh but i distinctly remember that that first summer of both of us really getting into it, I, you know, I was just throwing dry flies over and over again. I didn't understand uh, basic concepts like drag and things like that. Right. And I actually distinctly remember I went out again six or eight times with Mike and or his dad uh, together, and that whole summer I caught one fish at the end of the summer. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that was a good sign, though. That, that yeah. that's something, and that's something I've noticed with fly fishing is that. Uh, you know, whenever you're trying to teach someone it or some, you know, someone might be interested in picking it up, it's usually the people who are still excited to go back out, even if they didn't catch anything, that, you know, that it really sticks with. Yeah, fair. Mike, yeah, what... absolutely. If you catch, if you catch like a fish your first time, you're doing great. Yeah. Like, yeah. It can take a while to learn. What is it with, with but... you know, Mike, you're probably one of about six people I've talked to on the show that had a pond in their backyard that they actually fished. I mean, you're a pretty fishy guy. I know you've got your background in marine biology, um, authored another book that we'll talk about as well. But what was that like growing up with a pond in your backyard you could just throw some dries at? Oh, that was awesome. I mean, I would spend hours just catching the fish, and they were the same fish, like, I had them. I had them named like those. We had catfish in there, and they were huge. And we had bass in there. And I knew them by name because it was a small pond. But I would just kill hours out there, and I I learned a lot through that because I could experiment in my own backyard anytime I wanted to, which is really nice. Yeah, huh? Good stuff. Um, okay, so I'm I'm really curious, guys. Um, one of the questions I ask on this podcast is a lot are kind of go to fly patterns like if you had to pick one i know it's hard but we're going to narrow this down even more today so we're talking streamers simple streamer fishing and i'm going to throw four patterns at you guys and i want to i'm really curious to get your feedback because these are ones we're talking about in our march mania fly bracket right now uh if you had to pick between one of these flies cameron where would you go man we got the muddler minnow the clouser mm -hmm. the sex dungeon and the barely legal that's a tough one Ooh. for me. What do you like to fish? That is a tough one. Um, I will say, I'll say it with a little bit of a caveat. I think the barely legal would be my go-to pattern. Some, it's definitely something, I think the barely legal, and at least for me, the circus peanut, are oh. probably my top two articulated patterns yeah. that I would go with. Uh, a little bit of a caveat, though, just because I've, I've found just in practice a lot of commercially tied articulated flies to be a little material heavy and a little, I guess, late weight, light. Uh, I, 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 I tie my own pattern. So I'm a bit of an exception here. And I know not everyone kind of, you know, has the time to do that or the inclination, but I generally like to have my streamers on the heavy side. Mm -hmm. uh, so a store-bought barely legal might not actually be my first choice in that list. Gotcha. Um, unless it's a very heavily weighted tungsten, uh, you know, bead head, barely legal. Yeah. Um, and if I was person to be at the store, I would actually go with a clouser. Uh, 
slim profile, classic, you know, timeless fly, really with the, the dumbbell eyes and the hook riding up, uh, you know, with the classic version of that really sinks to the bottom quickly. And, and that's one of the things we talk about in the book a lot is just making sure your streamer is, you know, that's just like a common error uh, and, and critical fix that needs to happen with streamer fishing in order to be successful, successful is to have your fly, you know, weighted uh, to get down to where it needs to go. Uh, so that is my, uh, I guess, complicated answer. I like I, it. I would choose, yeah. That's specific. What, what color uh, do you fish in your home waters for the most part? Like what color uh, bait fish are you usually trying to imitate? Uh, you know, with streamer fishing, I definitely, I definitely take a little bit of the onus of like imitation off myself. Um, I've just found in, in the, for the most case, you know, it's an active retrieve, uh, try having less time to observe the pattern. Uh, I, I, at least for me, I've found color to be less important. That being said for myself, even now, but definitely anyone out there who's just starting in streamer fishing. Mm-hmm. I really like bright colors. It helps you see your streamer in the water if you have the right vantage point. Um, and it's kind of like what Mike was talking about with the pond. You really have, when you can see it, you can, you know, you really have the opportunity to kind of tweak what you're doing and, and learn quite a bit. Uh, that being said, I usually do a two tone of either black uh, and white right. or green and white for the most part. Yeah, those are two terrific color combinations. Mike, what about you? Um, your go-to streamers, like, uh, I like I like what Cameron's saying there. Like, sometimes these flies, <clears throat> we can overtie them, and they get a little cluttered and a little muddy. And sometimes when there's less is more, they're a little more suggestive, I think, and leads more to the imagination. But if you had to pick between a clouser, a, a muddler, a sex dungeon, a barely legal, a circus peanut, what are you what are you tying on more often than not? Yeah, I agree with Ken. I I would go more with the clouser because you know that that thin buck hair on the clouser and the dumbbell eyes it lets you just get that fly down to the bottom. And I think that's kind of the most important thing is getting your fly where the fish are. And nine out of ten times they're like right on the bottom. Yeah. So I think that's the most important is just getting your fly right in front of their face. Yeah, I like it. Um, I know, so your, your new book, simple streamer fishing guys, um, I was looking at, so the chapters are basically, they're laid out really well as far as, you know, the gear you need, the knots, the rigs, the types of flies. Um, I'd like to talk about locating the trout cause you just kind of went down that road a little bit, Mike, nine times out of 10, they're on the bottom. <laughs> um, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> Cameron, what what do you think about that? Where do you when you're trying to read the water? So you're hitting your stretch. How do you read that? Where do you locate those fish? Where do you, where does the you know the novice or even seasoned angler? Where do we start? Yeah, I mean we can go as detailed as we could possibly want with that question, just because to me it really depends on the conditions. The simple answer is, uh, particularly for like a novice or just someone's getting into it is i would say looking for changes um you say that about ocean fishing too or really any type of fishing even if you're doing lake fishing you're looking for changes in water speed water color to indicate changes in depth perhaps there's a shelf or drop off a lot of times you know submerged boulder a lot of times those have kind of like a physical manifestation even if you can't see through the water on the surface of the water um you know ripple where a boulder might be causing water disturbance as water flows past it, things like that. Uh, that is where I'd start just in terms of general changes. But I mean, one thing that streamer fishing has really taught me is that the fish can really be anywhere in the yeah. river, yeah. depending on the conditions, time of day, weather, time of year, so many factors, water flow that, uh, one of the reasons I really love streamer fishing is that you don't necessarily need to, sit at an individual hole for 30 minutes making delicate casts over and over again trying not to disturb the water you're, you're kind of coming in making some disruption yourself with this you know casting this big heavy fly so that's one of the things that i love about it is that you know when you come into a look you know look at new water that you've never fished before and this is something i run into all the time you know a lot of people too i think you're not exactly sure where to start uh for me a lot of times i start with a streamer and it helps you feel it out and you know, in most cases, you can 
you either feel, a, you know, fish nipping at the tail but not being hooked. Uh, you'll either catch a fish, or a lot of cases, you'll see the fish chasing your streamer. So it kind of allows you, especially if you're really stumped on where to begin, what type of water they might be in. Streamer is just great for searching, even if you don't catch anything. They kind of tell you where they might be if they're in the deeper water, if they're in the ripples, things like that. Hmm. Mike, what do you like to throw for line? Like, um, I know this could go a lot of ways depending on the depth of the water you're fishing. I'm sure, but um, I mean, I'm I'm assuming that you're getting this down and you're probably doing some stripping and also some swinging. What's your What's your go to method and and what type of lines are you usually fishing for streamers? Yeah, so usually I'm doing a floating fly line because I I want to be able to twist a switch between streamer fishing and dry fly fishing and nymphing really quickly. I, so I don't really want any weighted lines on. Um, I want to carry around two spools. So I do a floating fly line and then a poly leader, which if you're unfamiliar with the poly leader, that's a sinking kind of leader. So that'll help you get your streamer down. Mm-hmm. Um how did and, uh, then? How, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and then I always use a weighted streamer. Yeah. How important? That how important is it that the bead is tungsten on those patterns in your mind? Uh, I mean, tung- tungsten certainly is heavier than lead. Um, it helps, but it, I mean, I wouldn't say it's crucial. Um, and, in, and if you don't have tungsten, if you're not getting down enough, you can add a little split shot right above your your streamer. The, the important part is just getting it down. Mm-hmm. Is there any go-to retrieve for you guys when you're trying to imitate? Is it just like strip, 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 pause? Is there, um, Cameron, maybe chime in on this. What's a go-to yeah, type of retrieve yeah. for you? I, I do have a go-to retrieve. I don't really have a good reason outside of just it's worked for me, and that's where my comfort level is. I've definitely experimented with different types of retrieve, and in waters, you know, let's say where I know there's a prevalent population of, let's say, sculpins, which generally dart, you know, a good distance and then pause and, you know, dart again. With the exception of that, for the most part, I do very quick, short, choppy strips and continuous. Uh, you know, even if I feel a nip of the tail from a trout not fully committing to the streamer during the retrieve, I, I just keep it going, uh, that same cadence. Um, I've played around with a lot of the, you know, strip, strip, pause, strip, pause, you know, every combination under the sun, and, and it just seems that's the one that works the best for me. Um, and it also takes, you know, lets you focus more on what you're doing rather than going through in your head, just, you know, having that one continuous cadence rather than focusing in your head, okay, strip, strip, pause, wait, do you pause, wait, strip again. Um, so it, it kind of takes a lot of, like, I guess, that, that thought out of it. So that's part of the reason I like it, too. I, I like that you mentioned sculpins there, because I know that it, the waters I fish a lot, there's a lot of sculpin. Um, there might be some red-sided shiners in some of the backwaters, but for the most part, uh, if you're not imitating smaller um you know, say smaller trout and or sculpins. Those, I think that's why the muddler minnow for me is such a killer pattern. But I struggle getting that one down. Um, if if you're trying to imitate a sculpin, guys, what what would you be throwing on there? Uh, for me, it's usually a slump buster. Okay. Uh, you, you can even for a smaller size stuff, you can usually get a decent sized cone head uh, or bead head on those, and then that seemed to work pretty well for me. Uh, I've also just for myself, uh, kind of types like a uh, quasi sculpin pattern with just dumbbell eyes and uh, a, you know zonker tail, and then I just uh, really threw on the weight with lead wire wraps uh, and just have like a almost using uh, rubber legs okay. to create kind of a flailing gill, almost like you'd see with a like a deer hair pattern like a muddler in the front, but I really load the weight on it. And, um, you know, it's something I've kind of created a while back that's worked well for me. But usually a slump buster is kind of like my go-to sculpting imitation pattern. I get a feeling you do a lot of time. What about you, Mike? Are you spending a lot of time at the Vice these days? I'm not. Yeah, that's more Cam's thing. 
Okay. Cam- Cameron, what do you like? I tie nymphs. I tie quite a bit of nymphs, but once you get into the dries and the streamers, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. stay away from those. Yeah, I hear you. I, and that's just something that I've ventured into lately, and I'm really in, I'm really enjoying it, to be quite honest. I'm, I, I, I tie a lot of really small nymphs, so they're very intricate. But when I start some of these bait fish patterns, you can mess up. You know what I mean? And there's there's more room. <laughs> Hell yeah. But, man, they're, they're time-consuming. Why don't we talk about yeah. time? Yeah, it can take 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you can double that for me. Um, Cam, <laughs> what uh, what kind of hooks do you like to tie on? I always like talking tying equipment on this show. Um, talk to me about your setup as far as maybe vice and some preferred uh, bait fish imitation hooks you use. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I, I'm not too picky. I, I'm still using the same vice, and honestly, I don't even remember the brand yeah. uh, that I've had since maybe early college. Okay. Uh, I think I picked up, you know, just nothing too fancy, like a $50 vice, if I remember. Um, I know there's all sorts of stuff out there. I know Renzetti makes amazing products uh, and, and a lot of other great brands out there too, at least as far as vices go, you know, for anyone interested in fly tying or if you're already interested in fly tying and looking to, you know, advance it, it's kind of a to each their own type of thing. I've had this, you know, what I guess maybe considered like an old budget vice for a long time. It doesn't really seem to hinder me from, you know, tying large streamers to size 24 mid zebra midges um so it's worked for me as far as hooks for streamer fishing i've actually gravitated in the past year over to like gamatucci like saltwater hooks um it wasn't one of those things that was deliberate i think i just went to you know my local fly shop and i wanted to tie some streamers that night for you know an outing maybe the next morning or the next day whatever it might be later in the week and either maybe the price is too high on some of the you know kind of like the larger name brand trout streamer hooks or maybe there was low availability for whatever reason i grabbed a pack of saltwater hooks and they've worked great for me just because one they typically have a wider gap yeah. uh hook gap which I, I i think across the board streamer fishing dry fly fishing emergers nymphing wider hook to me just seems to lead up to more hook sets or more successful hook sets um, so I like that about them. And then too, you know, you don't really have to worry about like rust. Not that that normally happens, but, you know, sometimes yeah. you're not perfect. You put a, a wet streamer back in your fly box or some random pocket and it stays wet for a week uh, and it rusts. You don't really have to worry about that if you actually do that. And then uh, just typically speaking, the saltwater hooks are a little more durable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you, if you spend a considerable amount of the time streamer fishing, you know, you want your, like you mentioned, especially if you're tying your own flies or even if you're buying them in a store, sometimes they're, you know, six to $10 for a single fly Yeah. or, you know, 20 to 40 minutes to tie it on your own. You, you don't want to, you know, lose or damage that fly in any way. Uh, so for me, the saltwater hooks, is just like a happy accident that I didn't intentionally mm-hmm. do. I just kind of stumbled upon and then stuck for me. Any particular brand that works for you? Or, I'm just curious. I think I ended up with a with a Gamatucci, but yep. again, I'm I'm not too picky. I, I have actually over the years experimented uh, with a lot of different brands. Um, you know, you know, you definitely get what you pay for, but even even some of the more budget ones, you know, they might be like half the price or a quarter of the price, and you know, let's say one out of ten hooks might break on you or fail while you're actually out in the water, maybe even less. Um, you know, kind of depends where you're at. I, yeah. I think just about every commercially available fly tying book out there is is pretty awesome, and we'll get the job done. Um, you know, to me and you know, to your listeners, I would just say, you know, you get what you pay for. Yeah, and sure. Whatever you're willing to spend, to go with, with on that. I don't think it's of too critical importance. I found a streamer hook recently from uh, Montana Fly Company that I'm just loving. It's I don't I I'd have to look the number up. I never I'm horrible at remembering the actual you know, style of hook, but it's a straight shank, straight eye, uh, wide gap, black, um, and super strong, but I'm really enjoying tying on that. What what about thread when it comes to these things? Because, I mean, I know tying streamers, you want to make these flies durable as, as you can. Is there a particular go-to thread for you when it comes to one maybe being more durable than another on these patterns? Uh I wouldn't say by brand, but just by thickness. I usually go with a six off. 
Okay. Uh, that being said, sometimes if I'm, you know, just, you know, nobody, nobody's perfect. Sometimes, um, you know, night before an outing, I'm trying to tie up a bunch of streamers and them. So I don't feel like switching out threads, you know, there's times where I'll certainly use even as low as eight uh, on a, you know, like a slump buster, a smaller size streamer and mm-hmm. like a size 10. Uh, and I, I'll just really, you know, lay on the glue and make sure I'm taking enough wraps around the material such that I can't break easily. But, you know, yeah. Generally, six up is what I would recommend for most people. Um, I know I, I was actually introduced. I did a trip to Alaska this past summer for salmon. I was actually introduced to this. Uh, I can't remember the brand off the top of my head, but it was like a Kevlar-backed thread, yeah. which is you know even hard to get through with your tying scissors. And, Let, and that yeah. thing, <laughs> uh, yeah, that stuff did. It's a little more expensive, but it, it did. It did amazing, and I've been using that lately to tie some of my streamers. So we're talking all things streamers today. Simple streamer fishing for trout in rivers and streams. The latest book by Mike Canino and Cameron Bouchelion. Uh Cameron's out of Denver. Mike is joining us from just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, guys, let, let's get back to the book a little bit. Um, I know you got a chapter on trout behavior. And I think as fly fishers, that's something that you cannot underestimate how important it is getting to know that reading the water, knowing how the fish are going to act. Um, talk, speak to me a little bit, Mike, about the chapter on the behavior of trout, because uh, streamer wise versus nymph, it's quite a bit different. I would imagine. Yeah. So when you're thinking in terms of streamers for a trout, um, a lot of times you are focusing on some of the bigger trout, although the little, little ones will go for, streamers too but generally 16 plus kind of go for for streamers there's just a bigger bait item um since they're going to be chasing a streamer um it generally is better kind of whenever it's really cloudy conditions whenever the water is a little murky they can't see as well whenever a trout feels more comfortable moving around in a river um i think streamer fishing is more successful right. um definitely early mornings and early evenings i mean they've done a lot of studies on this trout big, especially bigger trout would definitely move and feel more comfortable during those hours to look around for food and just feel more comfortable from predators mm-hmm. well it's funny that's yeah. so true when when the trout are comfortable uh, you know, whether it's lower light or maybe a little faster moving water. But when you talk about changes, so whether it's a, a changes in the water, like whether it's a riffle or a color change where you get a nice little seam or the boulder. And let's face it, if if they can get a, you know, a break from the current, it's a good ambush spot. And, uh, you know, it's it also is easier. They're spending less calories and they're hanging tight probably and then just ambushing your your minnow pattern do you do you find that like kind of back eddies behind boulders is a kind of a simple place to start for a lot of people you know i'm more of like a pocket structure kind of guy okay i really like any slow water just in just in general any slow water that borders some fast water the the structure or whatever it is it's just the trout can hang out and rest but also has line of sight on the faster water which is moving food to them um and a lot of times you find that it's pretty clearly in you know the pocket water pocket structure mm-hmm. and uh chucking it right right so that your streamer goes right past the slow water um right in front of the trout's face do you guys find um when you're fishing streamers you're well, you, you alluded to it. You're more than likely fishing for the larger predators. You're fishing kind of for those 16-inch fish and up. How about species-specific? I mean, uh, let's face it. We know browns and brookies can be... Uh, any any fish in the char family seem to like to chase bait fish. But if you guys are fishing streamers, and let's go to you, Cameron, on this one. Um, what do you normally catch in species-wise in, in Colorado? Uh, you know, for me, a lot of times it's browns. I would say browns predominantly uh, with rainbows as a close second. Okay. Um, and, you know, that's just part of the makeup of the streams out here and where I spend my time fishing. Uh, but kind of like Mike alluded to, you know, it, it's really full spectrum. Uh, and while streamers do typically, you know, let's say we can generalize here and say they typically, you know, you're going to be catching 
larger sized brown trout and rainbow trout for the most part, you still every now and again catch a, a smaller size fish that leaves you scratching your head. And, that, and that's kind of a nice part about this is that I feel like streamer fishing does have a bit of a stigma as, you know, you'll go out there, you won't catch much, but what you'll catch is going to be, you know, trophy size fish. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't necessarily been the case in our experience. Um, I think you catch a lot more trophy size fish in general, but you're also not, you know, the smaller fish, a lot of times if the conditions are right, we've found them to be very aggressive as well. And, uh, you know, on a good day, you go out and catch a bunch of trophy fish and you also catch a, a bunch of, you know, average to above average size fish as well. Well, let me ask you this, Cameron. So if you're fishing something like a circus peanut, how often does it happen to you? You know, you, you bring this fish in and you're like, man, you, you're an overachiever. <laughs> it's like you're about the same size as this fly. Does that, I find that happens <laughs> quite often. <laughs> Yeah, but we we actually have a picture in the book. Uh, I, I'm forgetting what chapter it's in, Mike, but the, uh, I know there's a picture that we deliberately wanted to put in the book, uh, and I think it's me holding a small brook trout out of a uh, Shenandoah National Park in in Virginia stream, and and this streamer is probably two thirds the size of the fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we wanted to put that in the book deliberately again because of you know kind of that, like I feel like that myth that's out there that you're only going to be catching big fish. You, you do find it quite a bit. Yeah. And again, that's, that's, that's part of what makes it exciting, you know, uh-huh. and sometimes too, you know, when you're fighting the current and you hook into a fish, you think it's huge. And you know, by the time you get in, you're sometimes, sometimes <laughs> yeah. that definitely happens a lot. I have a feeling. They always get bigger if you lose them. I, yep. True. <laughs> well said. I, I let, I let a lot of fish get bigger. Um, Mike, what about your, um, growing up on that pond in the backyard, you probably saw that with those bass, you know, they're kind of, um, one aggressive fish. Um, you fish streamers a lot for bass. I I bet you do, especially now being in in Georgia. You know, for the most part, I'm still just doing trout fishing in Georgia. Uh, there's, and the north, I'm like near the northern part of the state. So there's a lot of cold water streams up there. Um, yeah, for the most part, I've been just doing strictly trout. What made you make the move, Mike? I'm curious. Was it a um, your day job taking you down there? What made you go from upstate New York to uh, the Atlanta area? You know, it's uh, my family. My brother moved down here, so I ended up following him. Okay. And gradually, my entire family's kind of moved out of upstate New York. And I really didn't have any family or friends she can move to colorado he's out of upstate new york too so yeah i see a pattern developing here (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'll go out there it was beautiful i was back in october when i visited him i was just amazed by the beauty and just the fishing it to see browns brooks cutthroats and rainbows all in one stream yeah that was pretty cool so, so being in in Colorado, I'm curious, Cam, if you got out to the uh, to the fly fishing show that just went uh, was it last week or week before? Yeah, it was very recent. <laughs> now, sadly, I did not. I've, I've actually I had tickets in prior years. Right. Uh, sadly, due to COVID, though, uh, you know, there's last minute cancellations or they reduced the show dramatically. I think maybe one year they tried to make some virtual aspects of it, which you know, just at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, you do what you can, but it's not ultimately the same. Uh, but no, sadly, I, I missed missed the show. I've been tuning in as much as I can uh, in terms of social media and what people have been putting just out there in the world on the internet right. uh, about the show. But I also know the fly fishing film tour is coming out here pretty soon, which is something I'm definitely hoping to catch. Yeah, that's a good one. I love that, too. We always try and make that every year. Um, and it's doing the rounds, I'm sure, pretty quick here. It, is your book available at those shows? Do you know? Do you guys know if the streamer book's um, out there yet? Or if we're looking for it, where's the best place to pick it up? On Amazon. Um, okay. We had it available, yeah, on Amazon. and uh, Or you can go through our website, but I'll take it on Amazon too. And it's available in colored print copies. Let's talk about your website um, you guys have a .com or where, where do we find your website? Cause I know, I noticed on Amazon, I think it was like twenty one ninety nine, pretty reasonably priced book in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my web, our website is www.simpleflyfish.com. Okay. So on that site, you, and then, sorry, go ahead. 
No, go ahead. What were you saying? I was going to say, so are, are both your books available, Mike, on that one? Yeah, both of them are. Um, basically, Amazon does a print through demand, print on demand service. So yep. they both, my website will redirect you to Amazon where you can order the book. Good stuff. Are you guys, how long has this book been out, roughly? Just a few months now, right, Mike? Yeah. Maybe okay. late November, early December. Early December, I think, actually, yeah. I'm looking, yeah. For, I'm looking forward to reading this. Um, are you guys uh, maybe working on something else in the future? Or anything? <laughs> anything you, <laughs> usually these things lead to something else, right? You, you've done the groundwork. We've been talking all... about it. Yeah, yeah we, we have been talking about it. We're definitely in a period of taking a little bit of break. Uh, you know, this book, we've probably put in well, over two years, Mike, countless hours. I, I don't yeah. know really how many hours total. It we was a lot of hours. It. Yeah. So we're, we're very excited, very happy that it's out there. We're really curious and, you know, eager to get people's feedback and, you know, hopefully people enjoy the book and find it, you know, instructive and a good read and helpful for them. Uh, so I think we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus for ourselves, at least as far as writing goes and, you know, see, see what people say in the book, see if there's anywhere where we can prove in the future and, yeah, we'll see where it takes us. Cam, did you kind of bring Mike? Did you bring Mike over the dark side on this one, like as far as getting him off the nymph patterns? <laughs> uh, I would say it's only quasi successful. Mike is still, <laughs> you know, a, a nymph angler at heart. And, and yep. It's funny that, like, when we go out in the water, I mean, it's so much fun, but it's just so funny to me even after all these years and the time we spent like learning together and doing this over the years just how different both both of us approach fly fishing like when we just first get to the river we have wildly different approaches and, and tactics there's some overlap but yeah uh it, it's just funny to me after, after all the time we spent learning together how how different we both kind of developed on that front basically my strategy is i'll let cam throw the streamers and if he starts doing better than me then i'll change over <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, and vice versa. <laughs> that's honest. I like it. That's funny. Um, Cam, put your artist hat on for me. I want you to describe your dream day. I assume it's with streamers, but walk us through that. You know, like what kind of water are you you're fishing? What kind of strains are you chasing? Is there something cold to drink? Is uh, Are you hanging with Mike? Or, or do you find some other company? Sure, artist, yeah. Somebody that yeah, likes to a, throw a streamer? A I've never really... <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. I've never really thought about that. Uh, yeah, let's let's throw it out there. Imaginary scenario: It'd be Mike and I together. Uh, both grew up camping, and something we still both really enjoy. So I'd say I'm, I'm picturing a uh, stream out here in Colorado uh, that I frequent at the fork of the of the South Platte River, actually, but definitely a, a overlooked part. And I don't know if you've read much about Colorado fly fishing, but depending where you go, you can you know a lot of people out here love it, which is amazing. Uh, but it can definitely lead to some crowds mm. and, you know, some spots are more better known than others, uh, for good reasons or for bad reasons. Uh, so, you know, I'd say waking up, you know, just camping right next to the stream type of deal, getting our waders on and just getting right after it, right. You know, sun's coming up or pre sunrise dawn throwing streamers right away, uh, covering a lot of water. Uh, yeah, for me, I do like the big river fishing. Uh, but I definitely really appreciate it. And I kind of think that's like where my home's at is kind of the smaller stream fishing, you know, something that's mm. no more than 20 yards wide. Uh, it really limits the space that the fish could be, uh, unless you cover a lot of water quickly. And, uh, you know, if you know, there's fish in there, you know, you're going to find them, uh, eventually. And, uh, kind of like Mike alluded to earlier, you know, sometimes adverse weather conditions like rain or just higher flows, things like that can really lead to a great stream or fishing day. So like on these smaller streams, you know, take less water to get them to raise up in water level, you know, compared to a large river. So I'd say something like that, fish straight through the morning. I think Mike might agree. I think the best days out on the water are when you go for hours and you guys, this happens to us all the time. I feel like you realize you haven't like had anything to drink or yeah. and you're all of a sudden just famished. Um, because you're so dialed into what you're doing and so focused on it and just having a good time. Uh, so, and the ideal day scenario is that we'd fish, you know, from pre sunrise straight through to midday when things are getting hot and sunny, slowing off a little bit, 
catching a bunch of fish, having a good time, uh, take a break for lunch and get back after it for the rest of the day. And, you know, well, into, you know, sometimes I'm even out there with a headlamp a little bit, you know, <laughs> a little bit after dark. Uh, if it's a, you know, it's a great day and if I'm so inclined and I guess that perfect day, you know, ideally it'd just be camping again to repeat the next day. I like it. little campfire maybe? Yeah. Yeah, when yeah, it's loud out here. Colorado can be a little tricky because we're yeah. definitely a big wildfire state, sadly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of dry <clears> conditions <throat> out here. So when it's loud, it's, you know, that's, that's always the hope. What about you, Mike? That's kind of what we've always done with campfires. And we would, Cam and I would, when we were younger, and just accidents <laughs> continued because into Colorado a few months yeah. ago. But that we would always just try to get as remote as we could and camp near a stream. And just, it was solely focus on fishing mm-hmm. yeah i remember people used to say like oh you guys are like really into hiking you guys can do it all the time we're, and we were kind of confused like no we're not <laughs> we're not really into hiking we just like are like camping as much we're like we just do that <laughs> so we can get as remote as possible for fishing and we it's like ironically become like hiking and camping <laughs> become a hobby out of like our yeah. i guess just quest to get out there as far as we can uh yeah to really be out there on our own and you know be in some you know, pristine waters and hopefully a beautiful location yeah that's well put i think there's a lot of us into fly fishing that uh there's there's other activities that are kind of you know we're doing that because we're trying to find the fish right <laughs> it's like it, exactly absolutely yeah yeah good stuff what about you mike is your trip your dream trip the same one it's, it's very similar uh, i can tell you one of my best memories of up cam and i fishing was uh when we went salmon fishing all on mm-hmm. lake ontario and getting all those we we took a, like about a week-long trip and we pretty much hit every stream along lake ontario and we were going through the anadromous uh salmon and steelhead that were that were migrating up the rivers um and we found this one stream and Rarely are like we ever like fully satisfied with fishing, but we caught so many king salmon that for once we were like satisfied with fish. And then we didn't stop fishing, but we switched over and we went for <laughs> we went for steelhead instead. And then we caught a bunch of those too. And yeah, that was just a great memory. We did a lot of camping. Um, hmm. Good stuff. Hey, Mike, what are you working at these days, day job wise? So now, you know, I I moved away from marine biology. Um, now I'm a carpenter. Okay. So I'm building, yeah, I'm doing a lot of construction work. I have my own business and Has doing been... home renovations. Yeah. How busy are you? General carpentry stuff. Very swamped. <laughs> Fortunately, I've been swamped. What's the best job you've had so far? You doing it? Oh, okay. My my best job in my life was when I worked up in Alaska for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service studying right. salmon. And, yeah, I, I was helicoptered out to a remote campsite. There's just me and one of our employees, and we were on a river, and we were just studying the salmon. And it, we were out there for four months straight, and that was just incredible. They would airdrop us food. There was tons of bears. We worked on a, a, weir, a fishing weir, so basically – I'm familiar with what a weir is. It's basically a dam. Mm-hmm. So it funneled all the fish into this little tight um, channel where we had a video camera in it. So we got to see everything that was moving through the stream, which is really cool. Because mm-hmm. rarely can you ever actually see everything that's in a stream. So then just the fishing was unbelievable. There's just so much salmon and uh, wildlife. Yeah, good stuff. How much more are you enjoying the weather where you're at now? <laughs> or, or oh, after doing a a winter down south, I could never go back up north. <laughs> it's just Cam, don't be listening it's to this. Just so pleasant. <laughs> What's your day job, Cam? What what do you do uh, when you're not fishing or writing? Yeah, so I, I work for a global consulting firm. Actually, back in Washington D.C., which is where I lived. Uh, you know, after we grew up in upstate New York, went to college and all that, I was in DC for three or four years and, uh, picked up a job there. And then when, you know, I wanted to move out to Colorado for 
you know, just fishing general outdoor activity and some family out here that, yeah, similar to Mike, I want to move closer to the family. So it all worked out for me. I was actually able to keep that job in DC. So I've been working remote mm. for the past three years or so out of Denver. Uh, yeah. you know, before all this COVID remote work stuff had started, I was already kind of doing that for a year or two. Good stuff. I think it's cool that you guys, uh, it must have taken a, a fair bit of time to put this book together. Like how, how much, how did you manage to find the time between work and full time? You know what I mean? I'm always curious how that works. Or is that more of a winter project? <laughs> yeah. Was that a winter yeah. thing? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the work was done in the winter. Um, but at least on my side, uh, since I've kept that East Coast job, since I'm in a different time zone now, I, I typically work uh 7 a.m. to 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. excuse me uh mountain time which is nine to five back east where my job is technically located so you know uh, just kind of at least for me it's kind of like an after work activity but uh you know just ending works so much earlier in the day than i was used to kind of you know there's still a lot of hours in the day left and uh you know mike i'm not sure if you have anything further to say but we just kind of found the time and mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah. something important to you, you find the time for it so Right, I feel like you, you'll never really find the time. You got to make the time, and we made a point to. This is something we wanted to do, and we enjoyed doing it, so we made the time. Love it. Well, guys, thanks for joining us, and and keep up the good work. Whenever you're working on a book or you just want to talk fishing, I'm always here for a for a call. So uh, just keep us posted, and uh, thanks for putting this book together. Looking forward to reading it. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Thanks for having us on. My pleasure. You've been listening today to a chat with Mike Canino and Cameron Bouchelion out of Denver. Mike's just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Their latest book is called Simple Streamer Fishing for Trout in Rivers and Streams. You can pick it up uh, on Amazon. Or one last time, guys, what's your what's your uh, website? www.simpleflyfish.com The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. (laughs) 